0: You're listening to Meanwhile, episode four. Today we'll be talking about the way we ask questions, in particular how, with just a couple subtle shifts in the way you ask those questions, you can positively change the impact you have on the people who come to you for support, advice, or leadership, whether it's at work or in any other area of life. Let's get started.
1: So Michael Melter, yeah, how you doing? I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm hanging in there. <laughs> I'm having one of those days where it's a TGIF, my friend. It's a beautiful day, and I'm kind of cranky, and so I both feel cranky, but I'm mad at myself for being cranky on a beautiful day. Uh, but that's, that's either. Case yeah. or there. <laughs> you got to get that inner beauty to align with the external beauty, and just be totally uh, kick ass heading into your I know. Day weekend. I do. And I have so much internal beauty that it's a crime when I don't bring it <laughs> forth. Okay. Well, let's move on uh, to our, our topic today. So um, our, our topic, our topic is actually grounded in a kind of interesting truth about what we do professionally. So one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about coaching is that coaches are people who tell you what to do, that that's how they help you, that we're really good at certain things and we transmit this to others. Um in particular that we're really good at kind of setting and achieving goals and so we'll help you and sailing you to do that. But in fact, that's not at all what happens in the kind of coaching that we were trained to do. Um, what we do is not about giving advice, not not often anyway. It's much more about asking questions in a way that helps people figure out what they need to figure out and take take action and so today we're going to kind of apply that to all of life <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah these are you know we want to talk about this idea of powerful questions, these sort of meaty questions you can pose to yourself or other people that actually help uh, help you make progress or see things differently, and uh, yeah this is these are skills you all can apply in you know, a coaching conversation context at work, um, or into other conversations with, with loved ones, uh, peers, etc., uh, to strengthen your sense of, of connection to them, um, understanding of them and productive relationships.
1: Why, why is it so important that people know how to ask what we're going to define as powerful questions? Um, or to put it another way, what is the world like, uh, when people don't have this practice of being able to ask powerful questions? Well, it, I think there are a number of different
0: reasons, um, starting with some of the most uh, discreet. Uh, if, you're, if you're leading a team or, or running a group in the work context, oftentimes the inability to ask these powerful questions questions uh, may look like, well, I get a really low response rate from my team when I ask them for feedback about how the all hands went or the the stand up went or, um, you know, I consistently get things are fine or things are good as a response uh, to those things or in one on ones. Um, Often feel like you're not getting the, the true feedback or the true pulse of your team. And instead, you know, you hear things in a back channeled way. Uh, or through the grapevine, but it's like, why aren't people telling me this to my face? And that can be a symptom of not asking powerful questions.
1: Well, like the, what you're saying is that the default level of communication in a lot of workplaces pretty much sucks and it's pretty yeah. low. Yeah, absolutely. Including when you're really trying to engender or, uh, greater communication. So you're correct. Uh, does anybody have any questions? No one ever answers right. that question. Um, can I help you? Uh, People really yep. ask for help. Does everybody agree? Anybody right. disagree? Right. Um, so there's an effort here to kind of bring up what's really going on, but people don't do it. They don't not do it because they are bad people or they're trying to not communicate. Um, I mean, sometimes it may. But really, it's that the way the questions are being asked is not sufficient to bring out what the real conversation is. And there are a lot of different reasons for doing this. So what we have is that in a lot of workplaces, there's an absence of real dialogue. So people talk to each other, but I would say in a real dialogue, it's two plus two equals five or two plus two equals 10. But in most conversations, it's like two plus two equals at best three and sometimes zero Mm. um, because people aren't able to engage in some dialogue. And I see this. I see this all over the all over the place. The way people tend to deal with uh, issues is that they either try to give advice, um, solve the problem. Thanks, dog. Um, or they they ask a certain type of question, what's normally a closed-ended question. So I a few months ago, I was at this bank, this international bank in New York, and. We were doing this thing with this very senior team. So all these people in the room were very qualified, very senior. They were all managing directors. They all earned seven figures, as far as I could guess, far more than I do. And we had this exercise where they are supposed to uh, take turns discussing an issue that, that they had kind of sequentially. And I was watching them. It was so weird. Um, the person would bring up their issue, and then the other seven of them would kind of stand in this circle with folded arms And be shouting out (laughs) these solutions. Like, have you tried this? Definitely do this. Talk to them. Get rid of the person. No, you can't do this. Well, when I did this and and interrupting each other.
0: And the person was feeling super helped, right? They were like, oh, this is,
1: if only I had thought of that. Yeah. And and the funny thing is I could tell they thought they were on (laughs) fire. Like they were so charged up. And I just thought, you guys are so bad at this. Like you're, there's no dialogue at all going on here. You're just sort of throwing these Mm -hmm. random things out as fast as you can and interrupting each other and kind of jockeying for position, but you're not really having a conversation and you in no way are trying to help the other person figure it out. Your model is definitely, okay, I'm going to give you the answer here. And so that kind of brings us back to coaching because in coaching, the fundamental view of, I would say, modern coaching is that the coach helps the Client or coachee discover his or her own answers through a process of questioning, and you have to believe that the person that that's going to work, that the person does have some capacity for doing it. But you know, we've all drunk the Kool Aid, and so we believe that. And there's a particular set or style of questioning that that gets there. What we'll call uh, powerful questions. Yeah.
0: Well, it, yeah, yeah, I can just picture this room full of powerful finance people <laughs> shouting answers at each other, and it's it, it's interesting, and it's it's not that again, like you said, that they're bad people or they're dumb people. I think. It's often reflective of the, the thing that um, we are often looking to get rewarded for, particularly in the workplace, is to solve problems and to have that sort of brilliant solution or the thing that really uh, cracks the case open. Um, and therefore, when, when there's an issue, we default to going to advice or just let's get right down and solve it. Let me tell you what I think you should do.
1: Right. It's, it's completely built into the system. And we, I discovered this in virtually every single professional field. That, that if you're a manager or a colleague and somebody comes to you with sort of a problem, the default is to try to solve it based on your own experience or opinions. And I think this is, it's a rational thing. And I think it's because that's how we're raised. I mean, starting in elementary school, what's your job? Well, it's to get an A on the test or have the best science fair project or just turn something in that's a finished project that you get a, right. a good grade for. And then that in turn continues going forward. And you go to, you go to, new levels of school, and you start jobs, and at every level, to for a certain time, you're rewarded by your ability to solve problems. And It's very hard to step out of that problem-solving zone, even, even when it's counterproductive.
0: Absolutely. For those of you listening, you may be thinking of um, moments where you've had that either advice giving yourself yourselves or been on the receiving end of it, and you know it, it often sounds like, uh, you should go try this, or go talk to this person. But getting back to this notion of question asking, sometimes we actually can even, we're all really well trained in disguising our advice within the questions we ask. So a really common question uh, we might ask, that's not actually a powerful question, would be, have you tried talking to marketing about that? You know, it's a question but it's in deeply embedded with our advice or our suggestion of what we think people should do to go solve their problem. So even when we think we're asking questions, we're often just layering on our advice.
1: Right. So let's do a kind of example to illustrate what we're talking about, uh, the kind of conventional way of engaging in dialogue, um, versus the new and improved one we're going to, we're going to talk about today. So I'll, I'll present an issue and you could be super helpful as I know you will be. So, um, uh, I'm on this insane diet, which I, I often do things like this. So it's this, uh, you know, typical high protein, low carb, almost no white carbs of any kind have to eat every three hours. have to write it down every day in this journal, no bread, no potatoes, uh, no wine, or I'm not supposed to have any wine anyway. <laughs> and I've been on this for a while and I've really been pushing myself. And today I just woke up in this super funk, because it's really hard work and I'm not I don't appear to be really losing any weight and so I just feel sad and deflated. Yeah. What should I do? Yeah. Michael T. Well have
0: you well, have you tried uh, getting at least eight hours of sleep each night? Okay, and scene. And scene. And <laughs> that <laughs> improvisation. <laughs> so that was me going to an example of uh, asking <laughs> Mr. Michael Melcher, a question, but having it deeply ingrained with uh, a set of what I think he should do or or might need to try to best solve his problem and his crankiness here on this lovely
1: Friday. Now we'll go. We'll go versatile. Okay, your turn.
0: <laughs> so flip the script. You want to give them an, another example of the typical sort of uh, non-powerful. Yeah, you're question?
1: gonna. Well, you're gonna give me your situation, and then I'm gonna be helpful the way you were told to me. Yeah.
0: Um, well. Uh, situation for me here at the end of the week is I'm, uh, I'm kind of stressed because uh, later today I'm catching a flight down to Phoenix to visit a, a buddy of mine and I've got a long list of stuff to get through uh, today. So that leaves me sort of, sort of anxious.
1: Oh, yeah, I get it. It's, it's, it's a drag to fly on Fridays anyway. You know what? It's already Friday afternoon. You're not going to get it done. Just enjoy the trip. Or, or I know what you can do. When you get to the airport... Um, just use that time to make your list of things to do when you, when you come back. Um, but don't worry about it.
0: And scene. scene. Wasn't that, wasn't that helpful? I (laughs) feel I, you know, if only I hadn't thought
1: of that. I, yeah,
0: I feel so helped. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) A list. What was I, what was I thinking?
1: (laughs) a list you know i found lists to be very helpful so um (laughs) that's kind of it and and of course we go through life most of our life like this and it it may come from a a good place we may really think we're helping the other person but these approaches just do not work Um, but there is an approach that you that does work which is asking powerful questions so basically a powerful question is an open-ended question that gets the other person to think and express themselves. What is an open-ended question, most, Michael?
0: What is an open-ended question?
1: An open-ended... Thanks for asking. An open-ended question is something that cannot be answered, yes or no. So uh, have you talked to marketing? It's a yes or a no. Um, did you consider therefore, it's a closed, that's a closed Therefore, that's a closed question. Right. Um, it does, it, they're looking for a yes or no, and there's no further thought. Whereas an open question is, What's most stressful? What do you really want to get done before the trip? How do you want this trip to be? Or, well, tell me more about your timeline. Those are all open-ended because they encourage Michael T. to expound and think and possibly go over things he hasn't thought of before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What I noticed uh, as you were giving those examples is most of them start with, I think most of them started with the the word what, Um, in those few examples you just gave. And I often, when um, I'm thinking about trying to ask powerful questions myself or or helping somebody with this topic, encourage them to start their questions either with what or with how. Because uh, usually any question you'll ask that has that beginning is going to enable the person on the other end to say more than yes or no. They're going to have to go into a description have to bring some creative thought um, to it. And all of a sudden you'll have more of a dialogue than, uh, you know, just some sort of like robotic exchange or uh, unhelpful Mm -hmm. advice-giving session.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I would add to that is just tell me more or say more about blank um, Mm. because that's an invitation for the person to keep talking. And the reason these, these work is that you're being curious about what's going on with the other person. You give them the mic and you give them an opportunity to explore things in greater detail. So they're powerful because they promote thinking. And close-ended questions are not powerful because most people are verifying, but they're not really thinking.
0: Right. Right. I like the point you highlighted there too about curiosity. I think, um, as much as asking powerful questions can be done better through a set of techniques, such as starting most of your questions with what or how, or uh, making the invitation for people to tell you more. I think it is about this fundamental mindset shift into, am I genuinely curious about this person or about their situation or the challenge they're facing on their team, um, as opposed to sitting more in a judgmental mindset where um, you feel constrained and limited and you want to solve quickly and move on.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's really both sides because on your side, um, it's do you feel you have time to have a conversation? Do you, are you comfortable with the role of not being the person who solves everything? A lot of managers are actually very uncomfortable flipping a question back to somebody like that. They almost feel like they're not doing their job if they don't solve it. So you have to kind Mm. of interrogate interrogate your own stuff a little bit. Like, hmm, what is my role here? Um, And if I'm not providing solutions every single conversation, am I somehow illegitimate? But there's the other side too, which is what is your belief about the other person? So a lot of people um, may not believe that their counterparts or direct reports or colleagues are capable of working their way toward a solution, Mm -hmm. um, or they, or they may not realize that they're assuming that the person cannot. Um, and so Mm -hmm. when you do training of people in this methodology, um, audiences are sometimes skeptical. They ask a lot of questions like, well, what if they don't really want to, or they're not capable or they're kind of dumb or what have you. And all we'll say is give it a try and see what happens. So I, I had a client, um, who works in the Caribbean with a health organization and, She was kind of a high flyer, but felt that her staff had somewhat limited capacities and they were constantly coming to her, wanting her to solve their problems. They didn't Mm -hmm. show any desire to engage in a dialogue, but um, I pushed her to use this. And within two weeks, she was a complete convert. She said, Michael, my entire day now is how, what, how, what, how, what, how, what? It's been this incredible breakthrough for me (laughs) and it made her life better. But it also really helped develop um, a lot of the individuals. And even if you're still ending up solving some of the issues, you're solving a smaller and more important subset. It's a good way to kind of winnow your way toward what really needs direct input and what can other people take care of themselves.
0: I think that's a really great example. And the particular piece I want to highlight that is part of the seductiveness of our advice giving tendencies or our um, questions uh, or our advice masquerading as questions, tendencies is that oftentimes the people we work with, the people who report to us, um, think that they want our advice first and foremost. So it's not only am I trained to give it, but other people are uh, by default trained to, to come seek it from us. Like, Hey, what should I do? Or, Hey, uh, solve this problem for me. And so that can help reinforce these patterns that we have to to just want to solve right away and and give advice and avoid asking that, that powerful, more open-ended question. But obviously that example illustrates nicely that, uh, There are a much smaller subset of things that actually need uh, our directive advice input. Um, And there are a lot more that you could help people solve themselves um, and potentially even solve better over time by asking them these powerful questions.
1: Well, in a way, when you do it, you're inviting both of you to have a somewhat different relationship. You're inviting them to say, hey, let's get out of this kind of bullshit default relationship where... I'm the designated expert and you're just coming to me with things and let's shift this where I'm really your thought partner and yeah. you have the capability of taking this a lot farther. And it's, uh, it's an invitation to a new way to being and you don't really know how it's going to be until you try it. But we know because we do this for a living and this shit really works. It, it works really well.
0: So so I wonder if we couldn't actually just run through a couple of exchanges of uh, us doing you hitting me with a few open-ended questions or, or vice versa on one of the issues we teed up just to give people sort of a sense of like what that sounds like and what the difference in the conversation is versus, you know, going straight to advice uh, or telling each other what to do.
1: Let's uh, do your example of <laughs> going off to uh, Phoenix. Cool. Um, so why don't we just start it from the beginning? You, you yeah. tell your deal again, and then I'll. I'm gonna I'll get back into.
0: To I'm gonna get back into character, which is really just me, and because I'm actually going to Phoenix today. So, um, Michael Melcher, I uh, I'm a little stressed today because, and this is true, <laughs> uh, because I've got a pretty long to do list, and I leave uh, for the airport in about four hours, and I'm going to Phoenix uh, to see friends for the weekend, um, and I'm trying to just sort of manage my stress and anxiety.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: what are the ingredients of your stress? Well, I think it would probably be mainly
0: that my list feels too long, and uh, there there are probably like 10 things on it. I think realistically it's going to take me more time than than what I have allotted, and a few of them are, are sort of big commitments uh, to other people that I wanted to get out before week's
1: end. How much do you think you can actually accomplish within the four hours that you have? Uh,
0: I could probably get through, I could probably get through most of the, the ones that I feel like are commitments to other people. So, you know, probably four things.
1: Okay. So you talked about the some being commitments to other people and some being other things. What do you actually want to focus on or to put it a different way? What would be the, the best benefit for you in these four hours?
0: Um, you know, I think that's, that's a good question because I, do, I feel this tension between um, these, a few obligations I have to other people versus, I think, commitments I've made sort of subconsciously to myself or things that I would want to prioritize. Um, there are a few, like, little housekeeping things uh, business-wise now that it's the end of the month that I really wanted to get done. Um, so I think, I, I think that might be one of the big pieces of the tension is I don't think I can do both.
1: Mm-hmm. What would be the argument for focusing on the housekeeping ones that aren't about commitments to other people?
0: That I think it'd be something like, you know, we've got commitments to all sorts of folks, ourselves included, and those are of equal, if not actually maybe more of higher importance. Plus, I think my tendency is to... When I'm in a more dysfunctional place to try to make other people happy or satiated before myself, um, but I know that that's not always the right default or, or decision. And in fact, um, I might be able to like renegotiate my expectations with them and get done what is most important to me first. I think it would sound something like that. That sounds good. That's, that feels kind of right. <laughs>
1: Tell uh, say more about what what sounds good.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, it just, it's a, it's, I think it's a pattern that I know comes up for me sometimes when I'm, particularly when I'm under stress is I can sort of look to how do I, um, you know, I look to like how my relationships with other people are and am I doing right by them and I go put out those fires first and sometimes neglect myself and end up uh, being disappointed about not getting done kind of what I most wanted to get done. So it's it's I think it feels good cuz it feels familiar. And um it's nice to like re-recognize that and I I kind of know I think I know where to go from here. It's not going to be perfect, but but uh that was helpful. Thanks.
1: All and, right. scene. So and, the, scene. and scene, And seen. And seen. Awesome, Oscar. Get it ready. Um Get it ready. So that was an example of using open-ended questions and you could actually hear uh, audience. You could hear Michael terrell thinking because there'd be little pauses and uh when you're asking good questions people often pause sometimes they'll say that's a good question and sometimes they'll kind of look up like Uh almost into their head as they're exploring things and that's when you know that you're doing well um Yeah, absolutely. That
0: was, um, I don't know if at any point in there you felt the urge to, to give advice or tell me what I should do, but I know that that's a common experience for many of us. You know, somebody presents a problem, go do I, this.
1: I felt it. I felt it and I quelled it. I quelled it. So the, the sneaky thing about coaching is that, yeah, I might give advice sometimes, but I'm going to do it. If I do it, it'll be at the very, very end of a conversation. Because I can tell you, like, I didn't know where you were going to end up in this conversation. Um, I had no idea that there was that kind of distinction between two types of to-dos that you had or Uh which way you'd go. And I felt very unattached by the outcome. I was, like, happy that you got value out of it and and have some clarity. Yeah. and the funny thing is I'm not 100% sure even what you mean still, but you are. And that's the important thing because yeah. you're the one that's living your, your life and that is going over your to-do lists. And in the end, it's uh, 10 times better than – well, a million times better than saying, hey, make a list at the airport and just chill out. Enjoy right. yourself. And right. it doesn't take that long. So people sometimes avoid asking questions because they feel like, oh, I'm going to get into it. But that whole thing was, what, eight minutes max, probably less. Kind of um nice. You can get a lot of value out of doing that, so that's why powerful questions are awesome. And yes. there are a couple other, a couple other areas you can use them. Um, there's this whole thing called appreciative inquiry, which has been talked about the last ten plus years. And appreciative inquiry is basically powerful questions <laughs> with an upbeat note, and it comes out of this belief that people. Um, are much more likely to move forward, develop, grow, be happy if you are essentially accentuating the positive. So an example would be, let's say you're driving home from school with your sullen preteen kid. Um, A lot of parents would say things like, did you like school today, honey? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Or what have you. And then a sort of beginner coach might say, how was school? But the appreciative inquiry approach would be, what was your favorite thing about school today? Um, what do you most like about your friends? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's the class that you hate the least? Or um, <laughs> that's the most fun. Yeah. And in fact, it does bring out um, better better results. And it's not necessarily a Pollyanna thing. You can even use this in the workplace. Uh, what's the most impressive thing we accomplished in this meeting today? Um What are two positives that will carry forward? You can also then open it up to the less positive things, but if you start this way, it's more powerful. And then a second thing you can use it for is what I would call a facilitative style of leadership when you're having meetings at work. Um, Often when people are leading meetings, they kind of feel like, okay, I have to do the talking, I have to direct the conversation, I have to set the agenda, I have to talk, 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 talk. But in a facilitative style you empower other people to do things by asking them questions. So let's say I kick off the meeting, we're here to talk about the growth targets for the third quarter. Um Michael T, I know that you've been involved in setting our strategy. Um what are the top factors your team is looking at in this geography? Oh and then right. talks and then you shift over um screen uh i know that you had some thoughts about how our competition is addressing this what are you seeing as a key trends and so you can kind of bounce around in a way that that invites people to talk um because you're asking open-ended questions and lets other people share in the dialogue but interestingly you still will have a pretty prominent position because in some ways you're you're shaping the whole session in a powerful way but you're you're doing it by using powerful questions
0: Something I have often find in that, that team setting as well, um, in addition to giving people opportunities to, to explain and, and sort of co-run the meeting with you in some ways, is um, sometimes when wrapping up a session like that and you want to collect a little feedback or elicit some feedback, I think the example of you know, the, the parent driving the kid home from school and say, how was school today? You could, say, you could go with a really open-ended question and say, so how was this meeting? Right, Um, but oftentimes it's kind of too broad, too expansive to actually give people a a chance to get a bit more specific and say, um, "What was the best thing we accomplished here uh, today?" Or um, obviously, we don't kick ass one hundred percent of the time when we get together for these. What was the time you were um, found yourself bored or disconnected today? To actually tease out some specific instances of of when people were struggling and that you can then fix for next time.
1: Yeah. Powerful questions. They work. So we have a homework assignment for you. And the homework assignment is what I'll call the three questions exercise. Hit me with it. Okay. In your work and life this week, when people come up to you with issues or questions or problems and kind of imply that they want your point of view, ask three questions first, three powerful questions before you give your point of view and just see what happens. It'll only take about two minutes. Um, but, uh, I bet that it will change the results. So try that and report back to us.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I would even just tack on if you catch yourself asking some, a closed question as part of this exercise, feel free to correct yourself. Um, instead so, you notice you just said, have you tried this? Switch it up and say, uh, what have you tried so far? Yep. Catch yourself and ask those three questions. I love it. Good Can't catch. wait to hear how that goes for people. All right. All right. Thanks all for joining us. Michael Melcher. Have a great weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you all soon.